I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com with Chris Fatter, Scott Eklund. Come behind victory for Washington 24-21, scoring 17 unanswered points in the second half, 17 in the third quarter with the kickoff at about 4.44 this afternoon. And I know the big stat that everybody wants to know. Announced attendance tonight, 2.59. So um, kind of a... Uh, it wasn't really a winter night, but it was definitely a, a fall night with a lot of uh, mist in the air right next to the lake. Uh, kind of cool, wasn't really cold till the end of the game, but uh, you know, disappointing first half for Washington. But boy, they came out fast in the second half and really turned things around with a great come from behind victory. Um, hey Scott, just real quick, just some of the guys played, it didn't play. Um, Tuli Latuli Gasanoa, surprising that um, he did indeed suit up and did indeed play. Uh, yeah, well, and and you saw he had a pretty big knee brace on on his right knee. So, um, <clears throat> but obviously, uh, the report that I had that he was likely done obviously wasn't correct. Um, hopefully, he's able to continue to play and add depth to that defensive line. I thought Fatui Tuatelli played really well early on. Uh, but he kind of wore down as the, as the game went along and Washington needed to make some plays and hopefully, uh, we see more, more plays out of that defensive line than more stoutness out of them because they were, they were, uh, getting pushed around a little bit tonight. To a, to a tail, I listed as a starter because, uh, Ryan Bowman was nowhere to be found and, uh, Jimmy's not going to address injuries and we get asked, he, I'm guessing he didn't address that in his post game. No, we no. didn't ask him. We didn't yeah, because you know what the answer is going to be. Well, I mean, we could have tried to work ways around it, but it would have been like, how were you able to cope with Ryan Bowman not being there? Because, yeah, he's not going to explain why Ryan Bowman wasn't there. He wasn't on the sidelines. Uh, Leatu Latu has been on the sidelines, not suited up, but he's been on the sidelines. We did not see um, Ryan Bowman at all. But, you know, Scott, you mentioned that uh, Fatui Tuatele, I, I thought he was kind of a wrecking ball the first couple of series. He was really, you know, being able to slip and slide, but I wasn't able to see what well, – I mean, did he just disappear? Uh, I don't know if he disappeared so much as Utah kind of changed some things up and – started double teaming guys on the middle there and and because Washington's linebackers weren't playing that well and their safeties weren't playing that well they were able to gas Washington and so I don't think they really worried too much about <clears throat> about uh you know the I don't I just think they did their best to occupy the line so that so that the linebackers and safeties had to make plays in space and it, it took a couple times where where Utah gashed them so um you know, he's still young. He's really, this is really only his, what, sixth game, seventh game as a, as a college football player. And he's going to get better, but uh, I thought he was unbelievable in those first couple drives, like you mentioned. Do you think it was some of it had to do with just conditioning and he's not, you know, um, just not there yet? No, no. I, I think he doesn't know the little tricks of the trade on how to deal with double teams, how to, how to split guys, how to, you know, all those different things that he'll learn as things. I mean, remember, uh, um, you know, um, good lord, how am I, I he's playing for Tampa Bay. He's hurt to the defensive. Vita Vea. Yeah, Vita, sorry, Vita Vea. He, he just he was not very good when he first got here. It takes a while to learn how to do that kind of stuff and and uh Fatui will get there. I think he's got all the talent to do it. Uh he just 
you know, wore down a little bit. And I think that won't happen as things go along, as he gets a little bit better and more used to all the little tricks of the trade that, that the, um, that the veteran guys have. You know, the first couple of years, Danny Shelton was here. He didn't do much. No, he didn't. And I mean, there's very rarely an impact defensive lineman that has done a lot. Greg uh, Gaines did quite a bit as a nose tackle, but he wasn't asked to do a lot of the same things that these guys are being asked to do. So, um, you know, I don't know if it's a great comparison, but Greg Gaines is also a generational player for Washington. You can see how much Washington has missed him the past two years in the running, you know, in stopping the run. And, and they need to find another guy like that. They don't have it right now, but hopefully they will find it. I thought Taki Taimani had a pretty good game. He had, he had several tackles tonight. Um, don't know what he exactly finished with, but he, he had several tackles tonight that I saw. He got some penetration in the backfield, made some nice stops. Josiah Bronson actually had a couple nice stops too. I, you know, I, honestly, I, it, it was a really weird night because there were nights when it was get, yep. when the D line was getting gashed, and then there was times when it was like they were immovable. Uh, it, it was such a helter skelter night on that side of the ball. Hey, Chris, one of the big storylines I thought in the first quarter, first half that just really killed Washington's defense was Jake Bentley's ability to scramble out of the pockets and pick up yards. It looked like they made some adjustments out there and spied on him a little bit. Tell us what you saw in uh, Jake Bentley getting loose in the first half. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you know, for what we know about Utah, we know that they they want to have a power run game too. They want to throw off of it. And, and in fact, Jimmy Lake even said that when it comes to Washington and Utah styles now, they're more, more closely aligned and more kind of mirror each other than they ever have. And it felt like Utah was really imposing themselves in that way and were not allowing Washington to do the same. And, and Bentley was doing it. It wasn't, obviously it wasn't designed runs. He was able to get some things done, um, with some scrambling and whatnot, but just enough to keep those guys honest. Um, you know, he had a long of 12 yards in the first quarter. He four carries for 32 yards, um, kind of mixed and matched with Ty Jordan, their freshman. And then, um, you know, they just, but they just kind of kept Washington off, uh, off balance, uh, off schedule. You know, they kept the ball for basically twice as long as Washington did, basically 10 minutes to five minutes. And, uh, and we're doing all the things to Washington that Washington had been really successful doing things to Oregon State and Arizona. And, Scott, one of the things that I noticed, and i got to preface this because I'm at field level. I mean, I'm in the first row of the stands, so I don't get to see everything, and I'm through a viewfinder. But it sure looked like in the first half, I don't remember Washington tackling as poor as they did in the first half. Uh, you mean they tackled poorly in the first half? Yeah. Compared to what they, oh yeah, absolutely. They were, they, I mean, they had a couple times when they had sacks on Bentley and he was able to scramble out. I, I think, uh, um, Jackson Sermon and Josiah Bronson each had chances to get sacks and they didn't and he ran, scrambled for a first down on third down. He is down. a big dude. He is yeah. a big dude though. He way. is big and he's experienced, but there's no reason why Washington shouldn't be able to tackle him and, and keep him, um, from scoring or keep him from getting a first down. I mean, it was, it was huge. They needed, to to make some of those plays and they didn't so um yeah, the, the biggest yeah. ones were on t- uh, t- the freshman Ty Jordan the small running back he just seemed to bounce off of them. oh I know he's unbelievable I mean he's quick he's he's they can use him in a lot of different ways man very impressed 
with him as a player. Saw him last week in his first game against USC. I thought he was one of the most explosive players. He's going to be so good for them over the next couple of years. He is going to be really, really good for them. They've got a, a pretty de- decent backfield of guys, but he's the guy who I really fear from a explosiveness standpoint. Also, just in the second half, Scott, um, Cam Williams was in quite a bit. We hadn't seen much of him so far this year, but Cam Williams had come in for, um, for, um, Cook. Um, Alex Cook, yeah. Yeah, Alex and, Cook. yeah, and I, I wrote it on the board in the, uh, in the, on the game day board. The Washington safeties were getting exposed. They, they just were not very good in run support. They, they were struggling in coverage and, um, letting guys get free and run free. Look, they didn't throw, you know, it's not like Utah threw all over them or, or, but they did run for 215 yards and they threw for 144 and they made some key first downs, uh, when Washington had them backed up a ways. So, um, they need that, those safeties to play better. I thought Asa Turner was a little exposed in, in run support. I didn't think he's not very physical when he's coming up and tackling guys. He's more of a finesse free safety type who's, who's back there to make plays on the ball, which I think he does pretty well. He's not great in coverage and he's not great in run support. He needs to get better. I think he will. I think they'll teach him some better technique. But overall, you know, the three of them, I, I was just really kind of disappointed in the way that the, uh, safeties ended up playing this game. You know, as much as the defense struggled, boy, the offense just really struggled. They were bound and determined to try to make the run game going. But, you know, Chris, you take a look at the total yards at the end of the first quarter, end of the first half, and the time of possession, end of the first quarter, end of the first half. Um, they didn't have the ball a whole lot and they weren't able to do much when they did have the ball. Yeah, in the second quarter, they were able to get the ball a little bit more, but basically it was 18 and a half minutes to 11 and a half minutes. Um, again, this is something that Washington wanted to do to the other teams, impose their will, set the tone, but it was actually Utah that was doing it. And, and I think as you guys rightly mentioned, the, the, the blown tackles. I mean, there was the one, the 46 yard run by Ty Jordan, uh, in their second touchdown drive where, it, 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 I don't know how many tackles he broke, but it felt like at least three or four. And it looked like they had him down at least once. Um, should have had him down there for maybe like a four or five yard gain. He busts loose and then goes right down the sideline. So yeah, so there were definitely some big plays on their behalf that they did a nice job with. Um, clearly Bentley was really in sync with Brian Thompson. That seemed to kind of be his go-to guy. And, uh, he's the one that kind of ran that corner route that was able to beat Alex Cook for the third touchdown. And now all of a sudden it's 21 nothing. You know, they've, they've had success. They outrushed Washington. They outpassed Washington. Washington was 0 for 6 on third downs in the first half. So not only was Utah imposing their will on offense, but they were completely shutting Washington down on third down so they could not start anything. I mean, they made one fourth down conversion, but that was it. So that was about as perfect a half. If you're Kyle Whittingham, you're going into halftime thinking, yeah, we, we need to do more of that. Scott, 23 carries, um, excuse me, 26 carries for 88 yards on the, on the night for Washington. What was Utah doing to run the game? They used four 300 pounders basically up front and Washington just couldn't get the movement on those guys that they really needed to, to get the, to, to, 
you know, move guys off the line. They really didn't move anybody off the line. They got, they struggled to get some openings and, and stuff. The only real, um, open runs that they had were Terrell Bynum getting, getting out on reverses and he had a, a couple nice ones. Cameron Davis had no room to work whatsoever. Two carries for one yard. Um, Sean McGrew, seven carries for 36 yards. I mean, that is a five yard average, but one by the those, way, that's what a 26 yard, yeah, 26 yard. Run. So, that, so, that was, so the other six was 10 yards. So, you know, I mean, Washington just really struggled to get anything going on the ground and that really impacted their passing game. They've got to figure out how to be able to move teams. Uh, when they need to, and they're not moving them. Now, granted, Utah's defensive line is bigger than probably anyone else they're going to face this year, and um, maybe that's one of the reasons. But I don't care. Washington's got a big offensive line, and they need to make pl- they need to get those guys moved off the line if they're going to be successful. One of the things in the first half, you know, Dylan Morris had his struggles in the first half. He had uh, three interceptions on the night. One of them was a hail mary. Uh, another one was uh, off the hands of Ty Jones, but uh, it just seemed like um, Dylan Morris would get the initial read, and he's going up against a pretty good defense with a really, really defensive coach in um, Kyle Whittingham. I think they really confused um, uh, Dylan Morris early in the first half. Is that me? Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Um Yes, they clearly did. I mean, that first pick was was an obvious one where they had someone under the route and um, Dylan didn't see him. And then on the very next series, he was very lucky to not throw another pick to the same Utah player because he had disguised his coverage. So there's no doubt that he was seeing some things and was probably in his in his head second guessing just a little bit. Um, it's not that he lost poise or anything like that. Jimmy Lake was very clear on on how cool and and collected uh, Dylan was all game, but it was clear that Utah's game plan to try to confuse his eyes was working um, early on. So yeah, it could have it could have been worse on that on that other drive in deep in Washington territory. Um, they could have turned that into a short field, and we certainly wouldn't be talking about the same game that we are right now. And then towards the end of the half, the missed field goal by uh, Race Porter. Um, excuse me, Peyton Henry, that didn't help either. So it was just kind of everything that could go wrong in that first half went wrong. How was, how long was the field goal that he missed, Scott? Uh, I think it was a 40 yarder. I'm yeah. pretty sure it was 40 yards, but the thing is it should, should have, have been, been 35. The thing that I don't understand, okay, you're going to try and do that little trickery and stuff like that and, and get them to jump off sides, all those different things. I get that. Why do you take the penalty? I don't understand. When you have the timeouts. When you have the timeouts, they had two timeouts. Yeah. I don't, I, I would love Jimmy Lake to explain that to me. I think in the long run, he'll look back and say, we were trying to pre- uh, preserve our timeouts in case we got stops and, and we could, we could, um, you know, maybe have some timeouts to stop the clock and get the ball back one more time. Maybe that's what he was thinking. But at that point, you need to be thinking about how am I going to put points up on the board? And, and taking a five yard penalty for a guy who quite honestly is struggling a little bit. He isn't awful, but he's, he's not hitting the ball very well. And, it, and he, it was just barely wide right, Chris, from, from what I saw on the replay, it looked like he barely missed that. So you, you take that five yards further in, that's a make. And, yeah, Washington, and also I was going to yeah. say too that, that they only used one timeout on their final drive of the half, Washington. 
So he, he, in theory, would have had a timeout that he could have burned there, and it would not have affected how they started their final drive. Because their, their final drive, they started at their 25. They had 42 seconds left. Um, so, yeah, I, I have a feeling he'll probably be asked about it on Monday, and it might be one of those things where it was maybe a miscommunication. They may have not gotten it in on time, or, or Jimmy was – you know, maybe he just had that much confidence in, in Peyton Henry to make the kick. And, and granted, 40 yards, that guy was pretty automatic most of the year last year. So, and like you said, Scott, it, it was probably a little bit closer than what it looked on TV. Lots to dissect in the second half of the football game, that uh, that and more when we return after a quick word from our sponsors. Also, just a reminder real quick, with uh, Thanksgiving just being finished and Black Friday was yesterday, we're still running a special over the weekend for Black Friday, 75% off for new annual memberships. There will not be a better deal ever on dogman.com than 75% off your annual subscription. No better time to subscribe. So a uh, word from our sponsors. We'll be back after the break. It's the guys from dogman.com. I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetters and Scott Eklund. Welcome back to Dogman Radio. I'm Kim Grenolds with Chris Fetter, Scott Eklund. Washington defeats Utah 24 to 21 with a big come from behind victory to defeat Utah. Again, announced attendance 259 people, but the second half, they really looked like they made some adjustments both on offense and defense, shutting out Utah with zero points in the second half. But Scott Washington was able to get the ball, um, initially in the first half, but I think the thing that really changed, I think the thing that was just the absolute game changer was coming out and going tempo on that first possession and not giving um, Utah time to change their coverages. Oh, absolutely. I think that helped. And I think that, that that got Dylan in rhythm too. I think, I think he could really feel it. And, and um, that throw to uh, Terrell Bynum, which was a little, on the late side, he probably, if he hits that, throws that in on time or throws it more on a rope instead of looping it, um, maybe they get a touchdown out of that instead of having it. Granted, they did end up getting a touchdown uh, on the next, on the very next play, but still, um, you know, lots of things to learn from, but yeah, the, the, when they went tempo, that was when they really started to hurt Utah on the, when they were on offense. Dylan Morris was 23 of 38 for 272 yards, two touchdowns, three interceptions. Chris, if I told you that Dylan Morris was going to throw the ball 38 times, what would you have said before the game? Um, I would have believed it. I would have believed it because I think that's where the the weakness was in Utah's defense was in their their very very young inexperienced secondary. And but the question was is how could you attack it? How could you attack it for maximum benefit? And that's where I think you got to give a little bit of credit to John Donovan. Yeah, they weren't getting much in the run game at all. And I'm sure fans were getting super frustrated at the fact that they were kind of running into the pile, running into the pile, trying a couple different things, trying a sweep here and there to try to get something done. But the fact, the fact of the matter is they still ran the ball 26 times. Now, really it was only like 23 times because they had, they had three team rushes, but the fact of the matter is they could have very easily given up on the run altogether and just gone straight drop back, no play action, try to scan the field. Now, would that have been fair to Dylan Morris in his third game? I mean, I think the fact is is that having a little bit of play action there and even trying to run the ball a little bit in the fourth quarter just to kind of keep the linebackers guessing a little bit to try to keep the, the front off just a little bit, 
I think really made a difference. And, you know, I'm going to go back and look at the tape, obviously, to see how effective it was in the grand scheme of things. But the running aspect of it itself was not great. But how it affected things opening up for Dylan Morris down the field, I think it had probably a bigger impact than people realize. How big was the play action, Scott? Well, I mean, there were times when Washington uh, that that touchdown to Kate Otten was a perfect example where they they fake the pitch to the left, Morris rolls back to the right, and then he throws back to the left with Kate Otten streaking like had come across and then gone up, and um, just a, a really well designed play by John Donovan and well executed by the Huskies. I mean, it, it, the 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 play action did help. Um, imagine how much better the play action would have been, Chris, if they, you know, you mentioned it, that it was still effective, but imagine how much more effective it would have been if they were just a little bit better running the ball. Lots of talk about, yeah. lots of talk about Zion, uh, Tupola, uh, Fatui and ZTF with the, you know, the start that he's had. But boy, I'll tell you something. Uh, Kate Otten might be the most improved player. He's going to get some votes for that too. He's really improved and had a huge night tonight. Again, the second game in a row with over a hundred yards receiving eight receptions for 108 yards, two touchdowns as well, including the game winner. I hate to, I hate to be Mr. Naysayer, but do we know that he's improved that much? I mean, he was, he had to share time with Hunter Bryant the last couple of years and they didn't really feature the tight ends that much. I mean, I think this is, I think this is as good as he's always been. He just is getting the opportunity to show it. Yeah. It just seems to me, he's just, you know, that confidence between your junior year and senior year, he just seems to have taken that leap, you know, with that confidence. He, he looks like he, you know, he wants the ball. It's kind of tough to want the ball when you've got a Hunter Bryant out there. But I think that Hunter Bryant, excuse me, Kate Otten has just been huge uh, in the first three games of the season. Tell us a little bit about what you saw out of Kate, Chris. Well, yeah, I mean, the the last couple drives, I mean, he was nails catching the ball. I mean, he was absolutely, they, they were in sync. Um, I know, Scott, you were a little concerned that that last touchdown pass was over the line for Morris. But um, was it? It, it like, was close, you know, wasn't it? it? It was close enough where I thought they were probably going to review Me it. Too. Maybe, I think you have to review every touchdown play anyway. But clearly, it was a quick review. They didn't. There was no two, three minute, you know, watching the referee with the headphones type of deal going on. Um, but you could just tell that they're in sync. They they have a connection, and it's working really well. You know, and again, another hundred yard receiving effort for Kate Otten. It's absolutely clear he's the go-to guy right now, and why not? I mean, they can they feature him in a number of ways. And I haven't seen any sort of screen-type uh, game yet with him, but, you know, who knows? I mean, I, and, and he's so valuable also in the blocking scheme of things, too. Saw it a couple times tonight, but really featured as, the, as kind of the, the guy who gave them a spark uh, to really help Dylan Morris get down the field and, and help him on a number of drives. Even on that, uh, that, uh, field goal drive, for instance, you know, they just were getting, they were getting absolutely stuffed at the line of scrimmage, but yet he had a nice pass right down the middle to Otten for a first down that got him in the field goal position. And, um, again, that's another drive where if they get anything out of the run game, now all of a sudden, can they push it in? Can they get six or seven instead of three? You know, that, that's, those are the little things that I know they're going to be cleaning up in the next week or so to try to 
see if they can improve the effectiveness and the efficiency of this offense. Scott, you got a lot of, I know you got a lot of writing yet to do and, you know, you always come up with a play of the game, but, uh, I think the thing that really turned the game around, I think the biggest key to the game, the momentum changer was the, uh, stuff on fourth, fourth and, uh, about one, one and a half. And they were able to, uh, stop that drive and then go. Oh, down absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That put them in, in the, gave them great field position. It was someone on the board said it perfectly. It's basically, that's like a turnover. And, you know, I, if I understand what Kyle Whittingham is thinking, but you got to remember Washington up to that point. So the, the longest drive that Washington had on the night was the 88 yarder that they had to finish the night. But up until then, uh, I'm trying to look up the drives right now. Washington's longest drive up to that point, they did have a 72 yarder at, uh, to begin the, to begin the second half. But I mean, realistically, Washington hadn't really done very much. Um, offensively, I punt the ball at that point and pin them and do my best to pin them deep in the, in their end and, and hope that you can, you can just continue to play defense and continue to get stops. I, it, it's easy to say it's right now because it's hindsight is 2020, but I probably would have gone with the safer play at that point and, uh, and, and gotten it, but it is what it is. Who stuffed that by the way? Um, I think it's it was truly in hockey. Yeah, Thule and Taki, and I thought uh, Josiah Brown. Well, no, he was coming from the other side. I, oh, uh, Savelle also was on that side. So the reason the reason why I think it was such a huge play, guys, is because that was right after that field goal. Yeah, and so that was the that was the time where all of a sudden it was like Utah was like, okay, it's now what? It's twenty one ten, and we need to do something in order to just kind of stem the tide. Get a couple first down. Even if we don't score necessarily, we can maybe put three or, you know, we can get a drive or two here. If we punt the ball, pin them deep, make them play the long game. Cause as you said, Scott, they had not really moved the ball that much until the very first drive of that quarter. Um, and that would give them some time to maybe regroup defensively and to get that fourth down stuff. It was like momentum on top of momentum for Washington. That's why it came at such a huge time for them. And it still is just so odd because, you know, you're, I'm in the stadium and you're used to being able to tell somewhat what's going on by the crowd noise. And I honestly, from where I was at, I didn't know whether they stopped him or if the guy got five yards on it. I couldn't tell, but also on some of the long runs, it was difficult. It, it's so odd with no crowd in there when you're used to having some kind of an indication of what's going on by the crowd reaction. And there was none. I mean, you can hear guys on the bench, but uh, that was about it. But that was just a huge, huge play. Scott, tell me about the one defensive adjustment that I saw that they made is they, um, is 40 Cooper McDonald, by the way? Yes. 41, 41. Was it Cooper McDonald that they had in there spying on uh, Jake Bentley quite a bit? Uh, I thought it was Tupatala, number 40. Okay, that's who it was. Yeah, 40. Yeah. They had him spying on uh, Jake Bentley, and he didn't do much when it came to scrambling in the second half. No, he didn't. There was the the interception by, um, by uh, Elijah Molden came when uh, actually – 
Jackson Sermon, who didn't have a very good game. He missed some tackles, but he also finished with quite a few tackles as well. But um, when Jackson Sermon pressured, uh, you know, basically he dropped into coverage, and then he saw that he was going to scramble out, so he came up and pressured him, and that's when he threw the ball to Elijah, well, to the receiver, and Elijah Molden stepped right. I think it was Britton Covey who he who he stepped in front of, and they ended up getting the turnover, which was huge. And um, you know, I it you know that was such a key thing. Like you said, Kim, they just didn't let Bentley get get the yards with his legs, and that really helped Washington in this comeback. We also, I'm seeing more Savelle Smalls. We don't get the um, snap count for the players, but it sure seems like Savelle Smalls getting more and more playing time. Well, yeah, he definitely was going to get more playing time because Bowman was gone. So, um, you know, and he's kind of that third guy that they have. And then you got Braylon Trice, you got Jordan uh, Jordan Lolahea, and you have um, uh, Cooper McDonald, who's also playing some outside too. So. Lots of different guys they can throw in there, but Washington really seems to like, um, you know, Savelle and what he brings to the table. I think he's you're going to see him play more and more as the season continues to progress. On the ball that went through Ty Jones' hands for the interception, which one of you had the more violent reaction? Um, well, I was okay. just more shocked. Yeah, so I, I, you know, Chris, I'll let you chime in and stuff, but I basically was like, that was a terrible throw by Dylan. Should have been out further, much further out. And it's not that he couldn't make that throw. It's just he tried to put touch on it. You could tell the way he threw it. He was trying to put touch on it instead of just air it out. But realistically, and I said it on the board, and of course you have the people who just can't believe I said what I said, but it's absolutely true. If you're a wide receiver and your quarterback has underthrown the ball, which is going to happen, your job is to come back and either force a PI because you've ju- and he could do that by jumping for the ball and letting the guy run into him, or his job is to take the ball away. Well, he waited till it got down low, and he's six four. He should have high pointed that and caught it five feet over the cornerback's head, but instead it bounces off of his and the cornerback's he- uh, hands, bounces off his face mask and right into the the arms of number nineteen, the safety for Utah and. It comes back the other way. Just it was brutal all the way around. Not a good pass by by Dylan Morris by any stretch of the imagination, but definitely something that Ty Jones could have helped out his quarterback. Yeah, hey, and, I'll, and I'll go and I'll just I want to add my two cents on those. First of all, yes, poor throw by Dylan. I I've said this I said this on the game day board as well. I think that's a that's a production or or a or, or a um, that's that that comes from the first two games him being very inconsistent with his deep balls, whether completely overthrowing a guy by 10 yards or throwing it short and having them come back like we would have expected with Ty Jones. He just he has not been able to get the touch on the deep ball and gauge the speed of the receivers down the field uh, very well at this point. And obviously, these are things that come with time and, and with more communication and more uh, getting in sync with the receivers. So there's that. So I think he was he he short armed it. He was he was obviously cognizant of not just air you know air mailing uh, Ty Jones because he was that open. And and I think instinctively when a guy's that wide open, you're gonna you're probably just gonna go okay. I just all I need to do is lay this up and he'll just run underneath it. It'll be great. But you just in the back of your head you're thinking oh my god I can't, I just can't overthrow this guy. But you're right about Ty Jones. 
when Ty Jones was the only one who knew where that ball was. The guy that was fronting him from the inside was completely facing Ty Jones. He had no idea where that ball was. All Ty Jones has to do is just go up and grab that ball and go up and get after it. And and that's why, it, you know, I put on the board, I said, it, you know, anytime a ball has to be perfectly thrown to the receiver, that's a that's a bad sign for the receiver. You should never have to do that. Um, some of these, some of the, some of the interceptions I thought that Dylan Moore's throw could pay benefits down the road. I think he learned a lot. You know, the Hail Mary, not so much, but, uh, boy, he almost threw the pick six, you know, I think it was the first quarter. Um, but he, I think he learned a lot. The, you can't make those throws and you learn more from the mistakes you make than anything you ever do right. So I think this game could have some silver lining down the road for the growth of, uh, Dylan Morris, but, uh, you know, I want to wrap this up by just focusing on that last drive. What did Washington have it with, uh, was it just close to five minutes that they got the ball back on the final drive? 436 and they scored with, uh, just under four minutes. Uh, there was 36 seconds left. Yeah, just some really key plays by, um, Kate Otten and just that catch by Puka Nakua. Um, I mean, he looked like Ozzie Smith at shortstop diving for a line drive. And, and he had just dropped one right through his hands the, the play before. <laughs> so yeah. He's gonna, he's gonna be that receiver, I think, for a while that makes the tough catch look easy and makes the easy catches look really hard. Yeah, what stood out for you on that last drive, Chris? Well, Kim, you talked about it yourself. I mean, you talked about the silver linings. You talked about growth. You talked about all these things. Um, I was getting texts from people who were talking about Dylan Morris and his struggles and all that stuff. And then to come out with that drive at the end, I was like, um, it only took Dylan Morris three games to do something that it took Jake Browning. And I, and I don't want to have this be a knock on Jake Browning, but what did it take? 50 games? For Jake Browning to come up with a come from behind win, I mean, yeah. these are not these are not easy things to do. I understand that the people that watch a ton of NFL on top of college football think that oh yeah, the NFL guys have fourth quarter comebacks every single week, so that's you know that's just a natural thing. And so it's like okay, well, what are you going to do? You know, in college it must be the same way. Well, no, it's not anywhere close to that. Those guys aren't anywhere near that level of proficiency. And again, we're talking about a guy making his third start. So I thought it was really, really good for Dylan Morris to be put in that situation. Not that he, not that anybody wanted him to be in that situation, but it, it's one of those, you got to grow up and you got to, you got to be in the moment and get it done. And I thought it was also a great moment for guys like Puka Nakua and even like Kamari Pleasant, for instance, I mean, for Puka Nakua to come up with his catches and then for, for Pleasant to come up with his play where I don't, I don't remember if he – did he beat Clark Phillips? Was that the guy that he beat to get in the space? Either way. Uh, I don't remember. I think it was Clark Phillips, but I can't remember. But for him to, to get that 10 yards and get out of bounds so they were right around the 15, 16-yard line with 52 seconds to go, that gave the coaches the whole playbook to open up because they had, they had timeouts. They could They could do what they wanted to do. And then obviously they go and score with Morris to Otten on that very next play. Um, but I just thought, you know, when, when Jimmy Lake has talked about Dylan Morris, guys, when we found out that he was going to be the starter, he talked about his poise. He talked about his calm in the huddle. He talked about his, his, his just the, the intangibles that make him a guy that can command the huddle and do the right things, make the right play. And, Scott, you talked about that pass to Pukunakua that was incomplete. 
Wasn't that, oh, there was also the pass to, to Kate Otten. I think it was the second ten play where there was clearly a miscommunication between Luke Wattenberg and Morris. And Morris wasn't expecting the snap in the shotgun, and it came back at his feet, and the play was going. Well, instead yeah, of, I remember that one. Instead yeah. of just taking the ball and hucking it out of bounds, he finds Otten for seven yards. And now all of a sudden it's third and three instead of third and ten. So, I mean, just these little moments. I mean, everyone's going to focus on that final drive in its, in its entirety. But there were so many little moments where you could see Dylan Morris literally growing up in front of our eyes to do something that, like I said, a four-year starter couldn't get done until his four, till late into his fourth year at Washington. Hey, Scott, I think we're finding out that uh, Dylan Morris' favorite uh, play is running towards the line of scrimmage and throwing it running forward. He seems to have that moved down pretty well. Yeah, and you could see when he wasn't sure of a throw, you could tell the difference between when he's not sure of a throw and when he's absolutely sure and got someone that he's targeting. And he puts the ball right where you want him to put it to. I mean, that throw to Otten for the touchdown was great. The throw um, when he was rolling to his his left and throwing back um, to Nakua, who made that. I mean, that was an unbelievable catch. You know, you ask him, Chris, what he – what stood out to him on that last drive, I think the biggest thing I saw on that last drive was a guy who felt a lot more comfortable moving around in the pocket, um, <clears throat> felt a lot more comfortable getting on the edge of the, of the pocket and, and throwing the ball down the field when he had the chance. And, and I'm really excited to see what he does from here on out from the standpoint of, Hey, I've got the opportunity to make some yardage with my, with my legs, but I'm going to see if anyone breaks open for me. And I think I might have some guys breaking open here. So. Hey, hey, one thing I was going to add Scott to that. That's a great point because what was the thing that all the fans were talking about after the Oregon state game, great effort on the ground, really took advantage of that aspect of the offense. But Dylan Morris was only asked to kind of manage the game. And so everyone was kind of led to believe that, okay, that's all he can kind of do, hand the ball off, maybe flip it out to the flat. Maybe every once in a while he can throw it into the middle to Kate Otten, and that might be the extent of of what he can do. Obviously what we saw tonight is that there were levels to what he's capable of doing in this offense. He's got different gears. And even if he was stuck in first or second in the first half, he boomed it right up into fourth and fifth gear in the second half when they needed it. And so, you know, when you see him go, what were the stats? 23-38 for 272 and a couple of touchdowns. Not bad for the first time or for the third time out in a situation where you're going up against a really good Utah defense in general, but one that we felt could probably get a little exploited uh, in the secondary because of their youth. Lots of work yet to do tonight, guys, so let's wrap this up quickly. Scott Eklund, final thoughts? Final thoughts, great come from behind win. This can only boost their confidence. you got to win games like this sometimes. I think Washington is a better team than they showed in the first half. I think the second half Huskies is what we're going to see um, on a regular basis from this team, at least for the rest of this year. I love what Dylan Morris was able to do. He didn't lose confidence. He threw two bad interceptions. I'm not going to even count the the Hail Mary because that that can just – by the way, I thought that guy was going to score. Uh, yeah. On the Hail Mary, I he wasn't. Took that out, he took out the cameraman. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. it wasn't a cameraman. I think it was the uh, sideline guy who tells you when the um, oh, when the commercials. TV guy. Yeah, yeah, the TV. So yeah, he got he got nailed. But still, I I was like, he's gonna score. I I was I thought he was gonna score. Luckily, they they got down there and stopped him. But yeah, I. I'm really excited to see where this team goes. I think that you're going to see them grow in confidence. And when Washington is playing confident, you're, it's only going to get better. And my God, someone said that Zion Tupuola Fatui might be our next, um, uh, Hallie Kakaha. I loved Hallie Kakaha. Zion's better. Zion is better. He's got much higher ceiling. Now, right now, he's probably not as good as, Howie was toward the end of his career because Howie was just unbelievable. But Zion is beating double teams. He's beating one-on-one blocking. He's beating double teams. That last sack he got was a double team. He should have had four sacks tonight if not for that call on the uh, on the roughing the passer penalty. So, man, he, he was unbelievable. Washington has a real gem in Zion Tupelo-Fatui. Quick, quickly, Chris Fetters, final thoughts? Yeah, a couple things. I was going to say it was interesting that, that, uh, Jimmy Lake wanted to use the, the boxing analogies tonight. How, you know, Utah came out with the first shots and in the second half they needed to be the ones that were throwing the shots and, and find that spark. And I don't know if that's just because Nate Robinson was fighting tonight or what, but, uh, it certainly seemed apt. And, um, for Dylan Morris to orchestrate that final drive with Kate Otten and, and Puka Nakua and, and Kamari Pleasant and everyone else involved was pretty phenomenal. And, um, you know, obviously I think I'm, I'm going to need to follow Tony Kastrick feed to, to see what the historical landmarks are. But, you know, I heard it was the second greatest comeback win in the history, history of Husky That's Stadium. Said, yeah. I heard it was the, the, uh, first time that they've beaten, uh, a team after being, uh, 21 points or, or more down since 1988. So to be able to, to hit those kind of landmarks in a win that, that we certainly didn't expect it to be like this yeah. at all. I mean, I think we expected it to be tough and physical, hard-nosed. All that stuff happened, but we certainly didn't expect it to be a tale of two halves like it was, where you give up 21 straight and then you come back and score 24 straight to win the game. That was highly unusual. And again, Kim, this is the second game out of three where the defense has given up a number of points in the first half and then just skunked them in the Making second half. Adjust- Making great adjustments. Yeah, it's amazing, and I'm sure that's something else that, that Jimmy Lake will probably be asked on Monday. So yeah. super impressed with the ability of the defense to come up with the turnovers and to stymie Utah when they had to. And then obviously that final drive is something that we're going to be talking about for a long, long time. Washington defeats Utah 24-21. Just a couple of things. Jimmy Lake absolutely on Fire after the game. If you get a chance, watch his uh, post-game interview on the ABC broadcast. It didn't end there. He was over high-fiving Elise Woodward. He went up and gave Jen Cohen a big hug. He screamed at me. He screamed at a couple of other people. So it was pretty cool watching Jimmy Lake all fired up. Uh, 3-0. and um, Oregon lost, so not a bad week. But uh, just a reminder, if you're looking for those daily updates and breaking news alerts, just shoot us a note, huskystadium at gmail.com, subject line newsletter. We will get you hooked up. And just through Monday only, the Black Friday special, 75% off your annual subscription. Nobody, nobody dives in deep like the guys at dogman.com. So just, uh, you know, try it out for a year. I'm sure you will like it. A lot of people who aren't subscribers are just looking at the information on the front page. 
That's not where the good stuff is. It's on the forums, the hardcore uh, football, hardcore basketball, hardcore recruiting. That's where you're going to find the good stuff. So uh, just keep it here on dogman.com, and we will take care of you and uh, for all of us. Great night at Husky Stadium with, again, 24-21 uh, victory over Utah. Uh, for all of us at dogman.com, I'm Kim Grenolds, Chris Fetters, Scott Eklund. Go dogs. Thank <laughs> you.